0: these these girls who are survivors are going to be even more effective because they understand this problem in a way that none of us truly can and i yeah. think they understand you know someone from that village is going to understand how that village thinks and is the only person that's going to be able to change the culture from within
1: You're listening to the She Leads Me podcast, where women come together for powerful conversations around life and leadership. Each episode will bring you conversations with incredible female business owners and leaders, tools for you on your personal and professional journey, and needed conversation and education to equip you with the tools to forge your path in today's world. I am your host, Heather Simpson. My mission is to educate and empower women who are seeking a different type of conversation, taking them to the next level in their journey and career. Welcome to She The end of the year is upon us. We are just in the final couple weeks of 2020 and are excited to welcome 2021. I know that a lot of you are. I'm just feeling this shift in this momentum as I chatted about before. It's been really great. I've been having the opportunity of working with a lot more female business owners than normal because it's that time of year for us. We help people put together business plans, and so the people that don't choose to work with us one-on-one but circle around with us once a year to do an annual plan, it's been great to connect with more and more of you and just hear how things are going for people, hear what transpired for them this year, hear how they shifted things and turned things around. Or hear how they completely closed certain doors and and said yes to different opportunities and opened new ones. The theme overall is that women are taking ownership and power of their future, and I am here for it. I am so excited that I just, I, I am honored to get to hear the stories of other women, to get to just really share on that journey with them the inside thoughts, processes, feelings, emotions that happens when you're going through a transition like so many of you have gone through this year. I actually don't know of anybody that didn't go through some type of transition this year. I think that worldwide, every single person that I've spoken to or I know went through some type of transition and I have just felt truly blessed to be a part of that for so many, to hear of that story, to help work on some of that story, and to just be involved in some capacity one way or another. So today, I have a guest that left me pretty speechless and emotional in our interview today, Her name is Sarah Simmons, and Sarah is the founder and director of Her Future Coalition, which is an international charity that has helped thousands of girls rise out of poverty and exploitation to become free and independent. Her Future Coalition has been selected for a collaboration with Michelle Obama's Girls Opportunity Alliance, which is a campaign to promote and support education for the most vulnerable girls around the world. Over the years, they have served tens of thousands of survivors in India, Nepal, Cambodia, and Thailand. Most exciting to Sarah is the fact that the survivors who joined their programs a few years ago are now managing the program, working as trainers and mentors to newly rescued girls. They couldn't imagine any future at all when they were living in the brothels, and now their dreams are limitless. Get ready for a really powerful conversation to really open up your perspective and your world. Please welcome to the show, Sarah Simmons. Hello, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me on the She Leads Me podcast. How are you today? I am so good, Heather, and I'm so glad to be on the show with you today. I am so thrilled that you're here. I'm really so fascinated to learn and have the chance to speak with you, to learn more about your background and and just kind of hear about where your journey took place. But before we get there with our audience, would you please introduce yourself and let our audience know who you are and what it is that you do?
0: Sure, well, my name is Sarah Simmons and I'm the founder and director of Her Future Coalition, which is an international nonprofit organization which helps um, survivors and girls at very high risk for human trafficking and other forms of severe gender violence in India and Nepal.
1: And tell us, I mean, that's just like amazing. Like, Thank you for doing the work that you do and for helping us all. I like, could just bring more awareness to um, something that I, I know we've heard more and more this year um, about how common this is, even in our own backyards, right? Um, and I'm just so thankful that, you, that we get to put a microphone to this today and learn more from you um, and how we can also help your efforts and support you in what it is that you're doing. Take us back to um, your history and share with us how you even navigated towards this line of work because you were doing something completely different before founding this international charity.
0: I really was i was on a very different life path um and this was like 18 years ago now my children were very little and i was a songwriter for film and television and through that work um i had a song and a film at tribeca film festival in new york city and when I went to go see it, I saw this documentary film called The Day My God Died, which was about the trafficking of very young girls from Nepal into India for sexual exploitation in brothels. And I was so moved by this film. I was you know, horrified that this was happening, that I knew so little about it, that it was kind of going on in very large numbers. And I, w- I had been really unaware of it until that day. Um, it really wasn't something people were talking about back then. And But I was also inspired by People taking action against it, all kinds of different people from all different kinds of backgrounds. They weren't all, you know, professional development people. And many of them were the survivors themselves. And so I was so inspired by that. I said, if they can do it, I will, I can and I will find a way to help them. So that was the seed that grew into our, our organization.
1: So from that seed, right, you're you're very comfortable in your lane. You are finding some great success with that. I think that um, you know, for a lot of women that listen to the show, there might be those sparks, those interested things, but then really figuring out how to make that shift, um, how to kind of break out of the fear of going into something that's unknown. How did you approach that kind of transition for yourself um, into such a different line of work for you? Well, I mean, two things I think that
0: were the key to my being able to do that um, successfully. And one was, I did it, you know, I didn't immediately just ditch everything and do that. Um, You know, I, I did keep my music and songwriting career going for a little bit longer. And while I did a lot of research into this and volunteered at a local agency and did a lot of searching and and researching and trying to find out, you know, what's working in this field and where is there room for more help and support that I could be effective. I asked a lot of people, you know, sent a lot of emails and called people and eventually went to Nepal and asked people in person. Um, So, you know, for me, it was just allowing myself the time to explore it, um, which for me was about a year um, where I kind of transitioned from the career in songwriting into the career in nonprofit, um, allowing myself that time to really do that research and to be humble and ask, you know, what's already being done. We certainly don't have any extra, you know, resources for reinventing the wheel. So what, what's being done locally that can be helped and mm-hmm. what can I learn from people who've been doing this a lot longer than myself. So that, you know, that was kind of the, the one piece what was just kind of taking the time. And the other piece of it was while I did take time um, I feel like you've got to start by taking some actions, you know, right away. I always say, mm-hmm. start by starting. Um, do something, you know. Don't don't just sit there and go, gosh, this is terrible, and I don't know what to do, and I don't have the skills. Indeed, I did not have all the skills, um, for sure. But I wouldn't have gained them if I hadn't have taken some small steps, you know, and then medium sized steps, and then large steps in the direction of my dream. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of saying, you know, take some action if you, you know. If you want to be like an international, you know, film star, you know, maybe you should take an acting class. You know, you got to start sure, yeah. somewhere. <laughs> you, you know, whatever it is that you want to do, like take some take some concrete actions. A little bit, you know, one percent a day or whatever, getting you a little bit closer to your goal. Mm-hmm. And finally, at the end of a year, for me, of you know, doing those things, taking those smaller actions, doing that research and asking others, I went to Nepal. Um, I went to a shelter where there were about 600 survivors, and some of them had babies. Mothers came during the time I was there looking for their lost daughters, and all of that was so eviscerating and incredible, and painful, and wonderful, and inspiring all at the same time. And it was on that trip um, that I really kind of firmed up the idea. Of, that was my organization. Originally it was called Made by Survivors and today is called Her Future
1: mm-hmm. Coalition. So incredible. I, I just, how, how amazing and I'm sure um, heartbreaking to go to Nepal and then to see what you saw which I'm sure then kind of a, a bunch of other actions sprung from that visit and actually being on the ground there. It was, it was shocking. Um, you know, I think
0: just the scope of the place, the number of rescue girls that were there at that time, a lot of girls were, you know, living and dying with HIV AIDS, um, mm-hmm. that they contracted when they were in the brothels. I was shocked by how many of them had little babies that, you know, they were probably encouraged to have when they were in the brothels, because that becomes a way to keep them enslaved and keep them mm-hmm. from running away. Um, and I was you know, devastated when the mom came with her, the picture of her daughter and just looking into her face and the, the loss and, and sorrow that I saw there. And all these things happened on that trip that were just crazy. Like this trafficker had been caught by the police and the police brought him in so that the girl he trafficked could confront him, which was like, you know, highly unusual, um, sure, but, yeah. you know, but, you know, it's like a, probably a little off book, but I'm, um, I think for her, it was, it was great for her to be able to have the opportunity to confront him. He had married her, you know, pretended Mm -hmm. to marry her and then trafficked her and all these things were, were happening in this sort of 11 day period. And, and every minute and every day, my heart was, you know, both breaking. And, you know, there's this, there's this Jewish saying that when your heart breaks, the words of God can fall in Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: words of, you know, the light, the the wisdom can come into you because your heart is broken. And that just was happening like five times a day. You know meeting yeah. the girls and the babies and the mothers and even you know even seeing the trafficker which was this young kid he was like 19 and you know I'm sure not an evil person when it started you know he he was true was sucked into a system that was that was broken and, and arising out of poverty and and then also you know right after meeting that mother with the polaroid of her daughter mm-hmm. and you know just kind of feeling truly very despairing and incredibly upset I walked out into this courtyard and all the kids were dancing the sun was setting mm. and the music was so like kids were having a dance class or something and all like a 100 young 12 and 13 year old survivors were dancing in this courtyard and I was just like okay the, the juxtaposition of that
1: beautiful wow. yeah
0: I'm like yeah. there is again I just thought it really reinforced my desire my you know i was compelled and i was that reinforced that you know that calling to to take action and to figure out a way to be part of the solution and what what i also saw when i was there was that the girls who were rescued young actually weren't a little bit of a better situation because they could go back to school and mm-hmm. get an education and through that rejoin mainstream society eventually that way a lot of the girls most of the girls then and now can't necessarily go home to their family or village because you know, the risk factors that cause them to be trafficked, the vulnerabilities are still there in the village and in the family. Family members very likely were involved in, in, you know, in some way in trafficking them or neighbors. Mm -hmm. Um, There's this extreme poverty, the low status of women, or maybe, you know, other issues at play, um, war, civil unrest, natural disasters, all these things that became the the root causes are Mm -hmm. still back there in the village. And now there's this added problem that, They may be blamed for what was done to them. They may be stigmatized. The parents may not want them back. The community may not accept them back. And even Mm -hmm. if they could go back, it just may not be a safe option for them. Um, So, you know, it was about finding a way for people who cannot return home to rejoin society in some other way. For the Mm -hmm. little ones, the young ones, it can be through a formal education, going to school and maybe college. But for the older girls, Sixteen and up—that's really tough to do. They probably didn't have any um, grade school education, so they'd be starting, you know, in kindergarten, and they're sixteen. a lot of people don't want to do that. So yeah. the first idea that I had um, was around trying to find economic alternatives for those late teen and young adult survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did that initially through the, you know, their handicraft skills that they had and that they were making things in the shelter, which we brought back to the United States and sold here. Mm-hmm. And then one thing just led to another, and we got involved in building shelters and supporting shelter care so that girls would have a safe place to live. And our biggest program, which is which really is around education and making sure that kids have a really good education. And now we've got girls in college and even you know someone in medical school and graduate school, um, but it's kind of built up over the years, again, step-by-step, step. I certainly couldn't have envisioned that, you know, 15 years ago when we, when we right. started.
1: Yeah. And when you started, like going back to that moment where you realized there's multiple issues, multiple places to step in and help, right? We'd, you kind of like touched on like the young trafficker, like the actual kid who was brought forward to um, face the, the young girl he was kind of brought into like the business of human trafficking, right? Like, so there's an issue there, like a systemic issue with the community that kind of sees that opportunity as a business and then sidestepping to the um, communities where, you know, where these young girls are not protected and are able to be easily targeted. And then there's the rescuing and the almost like rehabilitation of life after that. How did you decide to, to narrow down your focus to which part, to which mission you were going to serve? Um, because there's so many different avenues and roads that you could have gone down. I'm, I'm interested to kind of hear what drew you to helping um, on, on the backside after the survivors.
0: Mm. I mean, it definitely had to do with what needs were already somewhat, you know, being met. I mean, there's need for help everywhere, but what mm-hmm. needs, you know, maybe someone else was already meeting really well, and what needs, you know, everyone was struggling with. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the piece of rebuilding lives, which is really what we do, you know, we do it through education, we do it through shelter, and we do it through economic empowerment. Um, that piece of rebuilding lives is is long. <laughs> it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. It's not the work of a a day or a year. You know, many of the girls we've been working with for ten years, five years. If they're rescued at a young age, we got to stick with them until they're ready to stand on their own feet, and that could take a while if they're ten or eleven um i been 15 you know it takes a lot of time you've got to rebuild from you know they've got to recover from trauma they've got to gain some skills they've got to gain literacy they've got to recover from trauma again you know mm-hmm. it keeps coming up um move out of the shelter live independently they've got to figure out how to have a livelihood there's going to be more trauma as they try to start dating and get involved in that world or, or maybe try to, you know, reconnect with family. Um, So it really is a long, a long game. And I guess that was what I was in it for. Um, Mm -hmm. I was in it for long game. And and there are other types of interventions like rescue or legal aid, where your period of time that you're working with a survivor would be shorter. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt like uh, very much wanting to walk with girls all the way along their journey to freedom and independence until they, they were truly free and independent and able to stand on their own feet and and I guess slavery proof is the word i use that you know yeah. they've learned about their rights they've had they've had a decent time to recover they've built community they they understand what trafficking is and why it's illegal and that they're not required to do that for anyone you know for their family or anyone else and it's this just a really long process that um, was what spoke to me. And, and the other thing was when I first got involved, I started to f- find out about girls who had been rescued and then either trafficked again or they sort of slipped back into the red light area of their own accord because they didn't have anything else, yeah. any other alternatives. Yeah. And I found that um, personally unbearable, even more than them being trafficked in the first place. You know, that someone could think they were free and then not be able to hold on to that freedom. Um, yes. That really gutted me and I vowed that I really wanted to work on these long-term solutions and work on these root causes, Um, you know, either preventing trafficking from happening in the first place to the most high-risk girls like girls growing up in the red light area or slums or girls who grew up in a border village or a community where there's been, you know, a massive amount of trafficking. Um, Mm -hmm. So they never get trafficked or for those that unfortunately have been trafficked and rescued just to make sure that they can you know, have a reasonable means of, of growing up safely, rejoining society and fulfilling their awesome potential, you know, despite a very, very rough beginning.
1: Mm-hmm. And you have your, your, uh, organization now has helped, I think you tens of thousands of survivors. Is that correct? Over the course of India, Nepal, I hope that we will help tens of thousands up to now
0: we've worked with about 4,000 girls um, oh, um and like I say, many of those, it is a multi-year, you know, right. long-term process. So that's really yeah. the focus is making sure that we take on as many as we can mm-hmm. reasonably really invest yeah. in.
1: So in these different areas, then you have, um, mentors and, and, uh, people managing this program, like a boots on the ground in those different communities. Is that correct? That's correct. So we have, yeah. um, uh, most of
0: our staff in, in Asia is in Calcutta. Okay. and we have um, six incredible staff members there that keep things humming along, and a lot of our projects are in Calcutta because, because of them, mm-hmm. um, and then we also work with really exemplary local partners, and these are organizations maybe whose focus is a little bit similar but a little bit different, like they might be, you know, focused more on rescue or just on shelter, you know, or it's a red light area program, and we come alongside and together we sort of figure out how can we help you to be more effective? How can you help us to be more effective? You know, what can we do together to build on what each of us individually is already doing? Um, So in in areas where we don't have staff, such as, you know, Nepal, we're looking working with local partners. And something really special that is just beginning to happen is that our girls, now women, um, who've grown up, you know, in this program and being supported by it are now, becoming the activists in some cases who are running their own projects. Like for example, I just, um, during COVID, my COVID project, I wrote a book with one of our survivors and her name is Anjali. She grew up in Nepal in a rural village, which has a ridiculously high rate of trafficking and child marriage, like 75 Mm -hmm. to 80% of the girls are either trafficked to India or put into a child marriage. It's just become so normalized in this desperately poor community nothing grows there you know it's an arid mountainous region and um just people are you know kind of eking out a very very hard existence and then this this trafficking thing came to town and it somehow you know just festered and now it's become really systemic doesn't even cover it you know just Mm -hmm. majority of kids Um, so she was trafficked from there at age 12 she was in the brothels of calcutta for a couple years you know, in a, like, I won't even go into what happens because it can you know, all use our imaginations, the kind of abuse that, you know, a young yeah. a girl that young is going to face in a brothel. Mm-hmm. Girls are seeing, you know, 10 or 20 clients a night. It, nothing is protected for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not fed properly and they're not given any care. You know, there's just no care for them physically or, or mentally or in any way. She was rescued and um, thankfully given incredible, you um, social work and counseling by one of our partner organizations and eventually she was repatriated to nepal and grew up in a shelter that we work closely with and support and we began uh i began working with her right when she was rescued in calcutta but then was able to continue with her when she got back to Kathmandu and support her education for the last seven years and now she's in her third year of college studying education and she's getting ready to go back to that village and open a school to prevent the next generation of girls from having to suffer as she did, and mm-hmm. that is, you know, the kind of thing that really gets me excited, um, even yeah. more than everything we've done up to now. But anything we can do now, under the leadership of these women, these women who, who grew up in this program, and it's just so deeply satisfying. Um, I feel so hopeful about it. I think that these these girls who are survivors are going to be even more effective because they understand this problem in a way that none of us truly can. And yeah. I think they understand, you know, someone from that village is going to understand how that village thinks mm-hmm. and is the only person that's going to be able to change the culture from within Is yeah. someone who comes from, from it. So I have a lot of excitement around, you know, the next chapter for us, which is the girls, you know, gradually taking over and it's starting to happen and, and popping up and you know, we have a survivor you know in calcutta that's running a bunch of things and you know not everyone wants to do that a lot. you know some girls want to be sure. you know a dentist or a chef or schooler sure. but you know not everyone wants to be an anti trafficking activist but some do and it's pretty pretty cool right now to um, to be able to be working with them in that new way where they're not you know my kids or my you know they're right. they're not beneficiaries they're their colleagues
1: Right. Yeah. How powerful is that, especially, I mean, on so many different levels, but also for the survivors to have somebody walk alongside them that not only is there to help, but completely understands and has been there themselves and shows them the hope on the other side for what could be, um, for them. That's, that's really amazing and powerful. And, it's no wonder that you've um, gained, garnered the attention from Michelle Obama's uh, Girls Opportunity Alliance. Tell us about um, that process, how you were selected for that collaboration and um, kind of take us on that journey a little bit and, and to, to that, that part of the cha- that chapter of the journey.
0: Well, that is definitely one of the coolest things that, that has happened to me ever. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just incredible. So, yes. but, you know, the punchline is that one of our girls, a girl named Priya, who's growing up in the red light area, who is orphaned. Her mom was trafficked and, and eventually died from, you know, the abuse that she suffered. But Priya's growing up in the red light area. She participates in our red light resource center there. And she got to interview Malala and Michelle Obama for International Day of the Girl. Wow. I know. it's just so insane and she wants to be a photojournalist. so it's been, wow, just unbelievable for her to see, you know, hey, dreams really can come true. Maybe this. Yes. You know, who knows what else could happen? Mm-hmm. Um, if this could happen because I even I would have said, no, come on, Malala yeah. and Michelle, maybe one of them, <laughs> you know, but both <laughs> them. And, uh, how it happened was that, um, Michelle Obama has the girls opportunity Alliance, which she started, um, to try to promote and support girls education globally, because she really believes that is in you know, the way that we're going to move our world forward. And I totally agree. And organization, uh, works along the same beliefs. Um, so she has, you know, selected, um, over 100, I don't know exactly the number, but um, of organizations around the world, mostly grassroots small organizations that are working on girls education in the developing world. And they reached out to us and they said someone recommended us, I don't know who, bless that person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, We were jumping up and down with excitement. And then they came to India um, to make a short film about us, which hopefully will be released in the next couple months. And then this year, um, I had sent them just a super short video of, of some of our different girls and talking about why education is important to them. So I thought this would be you know just fun for them. To, maybe they can use it. Maybe not. But um, let's do it. And one of those girls was Priya, and they said, "Would she like to interview Malala, and Michelle?" And when I told <laughs> you know our local partner and Priya, I almost felt like people would not believe me. Like, no, this right? is really happening. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then Malala and Michelle shared it on all their platforms and it brought wonderful awareness to our work to the issue um, and it's you know a gift that keeps giving um, and I'm hoping yeah. for Priya specifically her dream is to study you know at a, a university in, in the west um, and hopefully in the United States and so that this can, is an amazing resume builder for her personally as well
1: um, right. trying to achieve
0: her dreams and and a lot of people you know hundreds of thousands of people through that article learned about the issue and about growing up in red light areas and the whole issue of intergenerational prostitution, which increasingly um, is something that we're working on is people who are just born into this and they don't, you know, haven't been shown any other options. They're extremely stigmatized. People expect nothing from them except that they'll end up with their, you know, alongside their mothers on the streets and they want something different and um, we want something different for them. And so, Together we're trying to create that and we it's working.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Where so, so what's next for you guys as an organization as you're, you know, you started in one area and you're expanding into other areas as well. What's what's on the horizon? Um, what what do you guys want to accomplish next? Mm,
0: I would like to expand our reach because I think we have a we I, I really truly believe that we have a system that works. Um, yes, it takes time, but it works in a population that most people have just given up on. <laughs> girls right. who, you know, and trafficked and, and so deeply wounded and traumatized. And you just see every day, you know, Anjali's and Priya's and so many other girls who are um, doing these incredible things. Like one's studying to be a gynecologist and, you know, another is an amazing mother. And they're just doing wonderful things in the world. The they March in the Women's March of Calcutta. And we're getting to see those transformations. And so I would like to be able to expand our reach and then be able to offer it to many more girls, um, specifically in the Calcutta red light areas, um, to be able to reach out to just more kids within that area where we're working. And you know, currently that program serves about 350 children. So I'd like to you know at least double that. And I'd also really like to expand our reach um, to more of the rescue shelters. Uh, we work in a couple of them and love to be able to get in there and provide computer training and you know, technology and other kinds of um, vocational or professional trainings that would allow those girls who are a bit older um, to get out of the shelter and, and begin you know building a beautiful life as well. Um, and then as I said, we're going to be working in this village with Anjali and building a school that's just getting underway. Um, and goal is to get that built next year. And open by the end of the year, so that we can start providing an alternative to those yeah. wonderful young girls. None of them have to yeah. go through what Angela did.
1: Yeah, that's that sounds amazing. I love hearing about uh, big dreams, plans, goals. Has what's happened this year with the pandemic has that changed the course of direction for you guys at all? Has that Presented any issues or problems to the work that you do. Um, it's been kind of a fascinating layer to add into our podcast interviews. Now is just to kind of see what um, you know all of the different areas where COVID is impacting um, different businesses or missions or you know outreach programs, and uh, what has that done anything for for your plans for this year? Well, it definitely completely
0: upended every plan we had for this year. (laughs) Um, So, you know, like everyone. And needless to say, you know, when there is any kind of a disaster, you know, a natural disaster, a pandemic or climate change, anything like that, it obviously affects the poor and the vulnerable so much Mm -hmm. more in a more extreme and dramatic way um, than anyone else. And that was certainly the case in the first couple of weeks. I was terrified that... Uh, not for the girls living in shelters because they had some food stockpiled and they were kind of already living in an enclosed environment where they could study from there. But the girls who were living, you know, in the red light area with their moms and sharing a room in the brothel. The kids were growing up in the urban slums and the kids who live in rural areas. Um, families didn't even have a bag of rice or a can of food.
1: Mm. So it's was
0: very worried that due to food insecurity, girls would be trafficked. And there was initially a few cases of gr- our girls, you know, being parents, Out of desperation, sending them out to beg. Um, Mm. We're not a relief organization, but we had to do a a very quick change. And for a few months this year, when the India was in a strict lockdown, we did become, you know, food relief organization. We distributed about forty thousand dollars of food relief, and that's just normally not what we do at all. But it was necessary to adapt to the situation and ensure that we could, you know, our long range projects of education and vocational training and shelter could continue um that they weren't you know interrupted by girls starving or families you know being forced to traffic their girls and so you know thank god thanks to the generosity of our our donors even though everyone had a hard time economically um, we did you know we didn't no, no one was trafficked no one starved um, the girls have lost some ground in their education um, across the board, including the shelter girls. And so, you know, next year is very much going to be about remediating that. Um, we're going to have to be doing, you know, a much, much more um, tutoring and remedial education just to kind of help everyone catch up because every, you know, these kids don't have computers at home, you know, sure. even yeah. in the shelter home. There's not enough computers for everybody. So you're just kind of coasting and trying to survive the year and not progressing. So that's something, you know, really has uh, affected our plans for next year that we we really need to, uh, re- you know, work hard to remediate that um, probably l- fewer vacations, you know, school vacations since this year was pretty much a vacation. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just next year would be almost like continuous school and much more putting in much more tutoring. And we are opening a you know, computer center in the red light area, which is really in response to COVID because the kids don't have technology at home. They don't have Wi-Fi, they don't have laptops. And so yeah. they really couldn't you know, participate in education, what, whatever was offered, um, mm-hmm. which was limited anyway, but they couldn't participate in it. So we want to make sure um, that they are able to participate and be competitive. And for everyone today, I think that includes access to and ease with technology. Mm-hmm.
1: So for those that, when I was reading um, on your website, there was something that really resonated with me that you had written where um, this is one of those topics where like you, you think that you know about a certain issue, but then once you start to kind of dive in deeper, like in your situation, when you watched that documentary, um, you learned so much more, like there was just so much more that you gained in knowledge, even though you had some baseline of understanding. For those that want to learn more and want to help where do you recommend that people get started do they also watch the documentary do they like how how can people educate themselves and step in and help mm. oh I do think that they
0: should watch the documentary even though the documentary you know it's a bit older now I still feel like it everything in it is still completely relevant and, and unfortunately hasn't you know changed all that much so again it was mm-hmm. called the day my god died it's available online and there's some other really you know very fine documentaries um on this subject I think that is actually a very good good place to start um lifetime made a movie it's just called human trafficking which i thought gave a very good and broad overview of the issue that was about 10 years ago but again it still stands um i wrote a book my first book is called "This Is No Ordinary Joy," um, which is available on Amazon. Which really kind of explains the issue in the places where we work, the root causes, and all the different, you know, factors that we had to learn about and um, understand, you know, in order to be effective working in those areas. Um, and I feel like the UN, um, the UNODC, the Office of Drugs and Crime, and UN Women. And UNICEF all have some really great online resources about human trafficking, as does the US State Department, um, which puts out a report every year, the trafficking in person's report or the tip report, um, which is also available online. Really gives you know a deep dive for someone who is thinking they want to get involved in this, you know, more extremely. If you're not quite ready to go that crazy, please engage with us on social media at Her Future Coalition. And that's kind of a you know light, positive um, upbeat way to kind of connect with what we're doing and what our partners are doing and others are doing in the field. Um, if you're not quite ready to like, you know, go all in there on the UN and state department reports.
1: Mm -hmm. How do you, um, continue to move the needle forward? Um, I know there's like a lot of success stories that happen. There's also probably a lot of stories that you hear that are just really heartbreaking. how do you continue to develop yourself as a leader to kind of build up almost like a stamina and resilience to go in and do the work that you do every single day?
0: Mm, That's such a good question. Um, I mean, I think experience has really helped me. Like when I first, Mm. first time I went to Cambodia, this was just a year after my first trip to Nepal. And I was over there on my own and someone had taken me to the red light area to see some projects there. And, you know, I kept seeing these very young girls, like little girls going off with these men and and in bars. And I just wanted to like pull a Rambo and like grab these girls. And (laughs) I mean, it was, and I went back to my hotel room and I called my husband and he was back here and I was just like, I can't do this. This is, this is horrible. Mm -hmm. You know, we have Mm -hmm. little kids and I just, I'm just so upset. I'm just like, and he's like, no, you just, you've got work to do there. Put this aside. We can talk about this later. You know, when you come back home right now, you have a job to do. You went there to do it, do it. And, you know, when you come home, you know, we can talk or if you need to get some counseling, you can do that. But right now you need to focus on the job at hand Mm
1: -hmm. and,
0: you know, do what you went there to do. And that's really been my touchstone throughout. It's like, I'll go to a red layered area and I'll see some 13 year old holding her baby in the door of a brothel. And I'll just want to, you know, I just feel really despairing and Mm -hmm. want to kill someone or give up or, you know. Mm-hmm. Scream or you know, just just really it's hard. It's hard. And, and and there are failures and there are losses, of course, many of them. Um, and so I really my my thing is just look, I'm feeling really upset right now. This upsetting thing has happened. This is really sad. This is a really hard issue. You know, that's not gonna change. But I mean, tomorrow I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna do something for that girl.
1: Mm-hmm. You know
0: or that mother or you know that situation and I'm going to take some action against it and that is going to make me feel better and it always does you know I'm like I am here working for them you know even with COVID even though I can't be there right now I'm here working for them and when something terrible or tragic happens or when I see something like that I just like okay what can I do what can I do tomorrow to make that situation better you know in any way and it might, maybe it might be a very small way at first but there's you know, can I create something for that woman, for that child, for that person who's lost their way, um, to provide another opportunity. And that just gives me energy and hope to keep going. And I also, I'm really into self-care. You know, I have a whole morning routine. Um, I don't compromise on it. I don't, you know, start the day with other people's content, meaning I don't look at like, you know, social media or email until I've had my morning time. With myself and with God, and you know, lighting candles, listening to music, meditating, praying, writing in a journal—like do all of that stuff. And I exercise a lot, and get a lot of beautiful fresh air, and um, you know, I just I just remember like how to take care of me so that I can be there for the girls.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, what a powerful mission you are on tell us how, um, we can help support your mission specifically. Can we go to your site? Can we donate? What can we do? What's the, what's the best thing we can do to help propel your mission forward right now? Thank you so much for asking. Um, yes. Yeah.
0: Please go to our website and consider making a donation. Obviously, as we're going into 2021, you know, it's been a tough year this year and we really could use your support and meet. We will be using it very carefully with great stewardship um, to transform the lives of the most deserving girls you could ever. Yeah. Meet. Yeah. www.herfuturecoalition.org is our website, um, and donations in any amount, especially right now, are an inc- incredible way to help. If yeah. you are just broken, you can't do that right now, just join our newsletter. You know, stay to stay updated on what we're doing. Follow us on social media, and then maybe you know when the time is right. There be an opportunity to either donate or, you know, volunteer your time or get involved in some other way. We've really yeah. had um, a fun year in terms of connecting with our community because of Zoom. And and I used to think like I didn't really know it could only bring so many people to India, and we do do trips, but it's you know a very small percentage of our community. Um, but this year we're like, oh, we can do Zoom calls, and so we've been doing all these Zoom calls with the girls and with the staff and with our donors and community here and everyone's just been loving it it's been really fun um something I never would have thought to do if it hadn't been for COVID it's kind of yeah. a gift
1: yeah it is isn't it and I love too that like so I'm on your site now and and then looking at like the donation area I love how it's also broken up into like there's really so much that a little um it can go a really long way it's like 25 for a virtual learning school kit like that's you know something that I think Um, you know, it encouraged our listeners to to consider because it doesn't take a lot to really make a great big impact. And um, I'm just so, I'm so grateful for this conversation today and that I got a chance to hear more about what you're doing and then share this with our audience because we do have a, a, a wide audience all around the world and anybody can step in and help with the efforts that you are doing. And, uh, I just really want to thank you so much for making this your mission and doing the hard work.
0: Thank you, Heather. Thank you for this
1: platform and for
0: this deep conversation opportunity to
1: share stuff that I don't always get to share. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, uh, direct our audience to go to her future and all also- uh, dot org yes okay thank you and then uh to follow you on social so instagram facebook where where are you guys most active
0: instagram and facebook um we also have Twitter excellent
1: great well thank you sarah so much it was such a pleasure to have you today hey, thank you for listening to this episode of the She Leads Me podcast. If you enjoyed it, would you do us a favor? Would you go on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review? And then also while you're there, go ahead and share the podcast with your fellow female leaders. Also be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram and to get the latest information about the She Leads Me community and see what we're up to. We will see you next time.